Broadcasting from the UNMC College of Nursing, get ready for RN Huddle, the podcast dedicated to bringing hot topics for and by nurses to the table. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to RN Huddle. This is your host, Heidi Keeler, coming to you from the College of Nursing, UNMC, Omaha, Nebraska. Today, we have a very special episode in that we have brought in a very special guest, a nationally known guest from right here at UNMC, one of our very own physicians, Dr. Sasha Shilkut. And she's going to be talking to us about uh, not her physician role, but her other passion, which is addressing gender issues in the workplace. So welcome. Thank you, Heidi. I'm super excited to be here. For those of you that don't know, I actually have spent quite a bit of time in the College of Nursing because I did a master's in clinical and translational research, and most of our instructors were from the College of Nursing who are, you have a phenomenal, for those of you that don't know, the University of Nebraska College of Nursing has a phenomenal, phenomenal research-driven mission and so many amazing scientists. And so part of the research that I was doing in cardiac overlapped, and I have many friends in the College of Nursing who have taught me many things through the years. So I really am honored to be here today. Thank you so much. You know, I thought I was going to be the one complimenting you and your work. You ended up complimenting us and our work. Uh, We do here at the UNMC College of Nursing, we do have a very strong cardiac research line, and we also are specializing in chronic care management and clinical translational research. So thank you for that shout out. You know, being in a college of nursing, we are at this point in history still predominantly female. And, uh, and so I thought that it would be a very good topic for the nurses listening to our show and anyone listening to our show to talk about some of the gender issues and really dive deep into how those affect your profession, how those, how those affect your work, and just um, really glean from you some of the, the things that you've learned in your work in this area. I didn't actually start looking or even thinking about gender issues in the workplace until probably about five years ago. And what I noticed as a faculty member is that when I was a junior physician and a lower rank academic rank, there were a lot of women junior physicians. And I think if you would have asked me, does gender bias exist in your everyday work life? I probably would have said no, because I didn't even, I was just trying to survive and I didn't know what I didn't know. I didn't know I wasn't being, perhaps we weren't being paid as much or we, and I wasn't actually in a position where I think I was trying to get promoted or trying to become a leader. And I think I would have probably said there was more inappropriate comments said to me at that stage of my career and definitely, I think, witnessed um, certainly inappropriate behavior uh, by male physicians to either junior uh, attendings or nursing staff. But as I started to progress in my career, I really started to notice gender bias, which surprised me because I kind of had this vision in my mind that the more accomplished I became or the more experience I had, the more I would be respected and the more I would not experience those things. But actually, what I think most women find, whether it's you're on, you're on a path of leadership in nursing or pharmacy or in any career, when you become a contender for positions 
or when you are seen perhaps even unconsciously or subconsciously as being more assertive or authoritative or a threat to power, you start to experience backlash. And I really struggled with this because at the same time I was experiencing success and I was often the only woman around a table, which is a very dangerous thing to be because it builds your ego. Suddenly you're like, oh, I'm the only woman. This is really good. But that's actually a really, we know statistically a, a bad thing. It's a bad thing for committees. It's a bad thing for leadership. It's, it's bad for your organization to only have, to have very little diversity around decision-making tables. And so I struggled with it because I thought, well, I'm doing okay. I probably should just keep my head down and not not really investigate this. But the more I started to study gender bias, because I felt it in my own career, the more I started to see it happening around me. And in a in healthcare where we are 80, women are 83 to 87, it depends on what you read, percent of the workforce, we are still a very limited number of leadership. Certainly on our campus at UNMC, I see things that I, th- I think our leadership is aware of that, of those statistics. And I definitely see more awareness and, and more movement to bring in women and to develop those leaders. But, I, but the hardest part for me is I see so many capable women every day who could assume those positions or could have ideas or, or have creativity or innovation or have leadership skills that perhaps because of how they are perceived in the workplace, they don't, they can't step into those roles. So that's a really bold thing to say. And and it just really shows how brave you've been about coming forward and, and talking about the things that you've witnessed. We tend to want to believe the best about people. And so do you think that in your experiences, the bias that you were feeling was an intentional thing? Or do you think that this stems from something deeper? I think that's a great question. I think that 99% of it is, uh, and we're talking about bias, not, you know, harassment, but gender bias, I think is unintentional and unconscious. And I think a lot of it is even what we call benevolent bias or benevolent sexism, which means, uh, let's take, for example, there's two uh, nurses in the unit. One is a male, one is a female. And there's a position that opens up. And the leaders of the, this unit or this program know that the female nurse is very qualified for this job. She may even be more qualified than the male nurse, but she just had a baby. So nobody wants to put that decision on her. They don't want to inconvenience her. And from a good place, they, they just ask him. And then what's happened is there's a gap in opportunity, in pay, in, in leadership that instantly started and she may not have even been in the equation. So I think that the majority of bias is unconscious. I don't think men come to work every day and they're like, we're going to keep the women down today. I, I just don't see that. Maybe it's because I am more of an optimist. But I think that the, it starts when we can actually have conversations like we're having today and say, we all have biases. Sometimes we, we do it from a good place. But we have to be aware and we have to know the data. We have to empower people to call out biases in the workplace when they see them happening. Or, you know, I just was talking to a person the other day who reached out to me and she 
was a physician assistant. And she said, I know that my, I just found out I'm devastated that one of the male physician assistants is making more than I am. And he's been here less and I'm devastated and I don't want to be labeled the whiner. What should I do? And I said, I totally understand, you know, she's really hurt because she felt that this is a reflection of her work effort. Her value. Her value. Exactly. So I, I gave her, you know, some advice. I said, well, in this situation, a good thing to do is to approach it for the health of the, of the division, because that doesn't just make you feel bad. It, it'll, it creates problems for the whole division. So approach your leader and say, look, can we, I found this out. It's hurtful to me. It may not be true. Number one, number two, can we look at the data? Can we actually like, who's looking at this data? Can we do it so that we can improve equity and val and how we value one another across the whole division, not just me and no, don't make it your problem, but a division problem. And I think if we look at inequities and gender bias from a bigger picture and we partner with our leaders, it's a very different conversation than pointing fingers. Definitely. That's something that we can um, also translate into the relationship between members of the healthcare team. You know, there, there is a, a culture of professions pointing fingers at one another and saying, well, you're this, mm-hmm. you're that. And, and when you dig a little bit deeper, you find out, no, there's, there's different types of people in all professions and you mm-hmm. really have to approach each other as people. You know, in in talking about the perception that the male was more more appropriate for the job in your example, you mentioned that it was because of uh, childbearing. And so do you have any other stories or examples of how that can affect the unconscious bias? For example, some of the perceptions that male leadership might have about the role of the female versus the role of the male in the workplace. What, do you have any additional thoughts on that? I think oftentimes as leaders, and, and I'm probably guilty of this too, I think that we place our own work limitations or our own limitations personally on our, our work colleagues. And so, for example, if we know that someone is of childbearing years or someone has small children, we may limit access to opportunities or speakerships or, you know, projects because we ourselves think, well, that would stress me out or I don't think I would be able to do that. So I'm not going, I'm going to project my own thoughts on this person. What we really need to do is, you know, and I, and the other part of this is I hear this all the time. Well, I asked her, but she said, no, I asked her two years ago. She said, no. So I don't ask her to do things anymore. And the question should be, why did she say no? Is it because if she, if you are asking her to do a job and she does have young children, she knows she couldn't do the job with young children because it would, she would have to choose. If you ask any woman to choose between her family and her job, I hope she chooses her family. Right. right. So, so I think that the question should be, what do you need? What could, what do you need to do this job and be present with your family? What, what resources, or is it a job share, or is it, do you need more time to do this, or do you need more time to do that? But oftentimes in medicine, we're so regimented that we have these ideas of 
what a work fit is or what, you know, one FTE is. And we don't oftentimes think about flexible work schedules for people of who are having children. We think a lot about that in, in all professions too. In nursing, there is sometimes the perception that, well, we, we've always done it this way. So if you're asking for a different way of doing things, that's not how we do things. And I guess the better question is, as you mentioned, how can we do things so that people can better balance their responsibilities? You know, I love how you pointed out that the use of data is good in bringing those unconscious biases into light. And step one is to know that there is an issue. But what can you tell us about step two? What other ways can we address biases that we come into contact with? I think one of the one of the things is really to um, have the data. Another thing is to what I call leading statements. I have embraced these. There's actually some literature to say that when you women in the workplace are going to state a contrarian opinion or call out a bias or call out an inequity or even be really assertive, if you if you have a leading statement <laughs> that prefaces the statement, it actually makes everybody kind of accept what you say a little, a little better. So I tend to say, okay, I'm going to say something now that's going to make everybody a little uncomfortable. We just self-selected these two men and we didn't even think about these two women. Or I'll say, I'm going to speak in an assertive tone right now. And I may even, my voice may even crack because I'm really passionate about this. I'm okay. Don't be uncomfortable. That, that was a very biased statement that you just said. Right. Or So these are kind of leading statements. And as, click, as, as silly as they sound, they actually work. <laughs> so I think it's, you know, we need all these tools in our tool belt as women because I think oftentimes what we go through in a day is very different than what our male counterparts do. And I'm not saying they don't have difficult days or our jobs is not stressful. If you're a male physician or a male pharmacist or a male nurse, I'm not saying that because it is. I mean, healthcare is a stressful environment, but there's a level of added complexity to how women are perceived in the workplace that is not the same. And we know that for if you're a man. Right, right. And um, one example of that that comes to my mind is there were two qualified applicants for a position. This is in in relation to a nursing position. And one was male, one was female, and similar job roles, etc. And the, the male was offered more money for the same role. And when asked about, well, what made you decide to, to do that, to, to give unequal pay, the answer was, well, he has a family that he needs to support. Mm-hmm. And so um, that right there is a perception that the male needs to be the one that gets more money because of the family situation, when in fact, the same could be said about the female applicant. So, you know, these are tough issues, but I think we're going in the right direction. Do you have any thoughts about what are the next steps and and where you plan to take this work of yours? Yeah, I think that um, I'm encouraged. I know when I see, I think this is on the radar of those in leadership. And I am encouraged when I see people talking about it. And 
I think that there's more of an open discussions like having this podcast today is a, is a great example. And I think the next step is to empower people to, you know, we need someone thinking of these issues wherever decisions are made. So I like to use the more than one slogan. When you, I tell my male counterparts this all the time because so many men really want to help. They do. They want, they're like, what can we do to help? And I will tell them one simple thing is when you're sitting around the table and you're making decisions, who is there? And not just who's there, but who gets a vote and who are you listening to? Because if you're sitting around a table and everybody looks like you, <laughs> you're, you're probably not going to have as much creativity, ideas, innovation, and thinking about all the different parts of our, of our groups. And, and, you know, for us to take care of diverse populations of people, we need to make sure that we have, we are taking care of ourselves. And for us to take care of ourselves as an institution and generally in healthcare, we got it. We need all hands on deck. And if those hands aren't at the table where decisions are being made, it's probably likely that the decisions are going to be focused on one group or, or more narrow. Right, right. And so step one is to get all hands on the table. Can you tell us some strategies that you've used when you've made suggestions at the table uh, and they were not necessarily picked up? And then later on, you might have had a male colleague say something very similar, and then suddenly it was an accepted idea. Yes. Are there any strategies for women to use to address that? That's a great question. So a couple things. The first is that uh, whenever I go into the important meetings where I know that there may be a narrow focus and a narrow vote, and I think that it's important to have differing opinions and options, I will strategize, I've learned, to literally say to the other people, allies or other women at the table, look, I'm going to bring this up and I need you to validate, affirm, and speak up. It's not going to be fun. And I'm asking you now because I know it's going to happen. You're going to just want to sit there and look down and not give me eye contact. <laughs> so it's the meeting before the meeting. Very proactive. Yeah. And I've, I, and then the other thing, you know, I see this happen often where a woman will say something. And this has been studied. There's like publications out there at a meeting and, no, and she's dismissed. And then a male will repeat the same exact idea. And suddenly it's the best idea on the planet. So if I hear or if I know that there's, I'm sitting in a meeting and there's maybe a woman who's maybe a little more quiet, introverted, or not in a position of power, but she has the, the idea. She's got the answer. I will just say, I know so-and-so, you, you actually studied this, or you looked at this last year. You had this idea last year. Can you tell us about that? Affirm each other around the table and, and give credence where it's due. That's a, a very interesting proactive strategy and, and really something that um, for nurses, we should pick up the literature and really study. You know, a lot of times nurses will have ideas as part of the healthcare team because we're the ones that are with the patient all day, every day. First of all, we know that diversity of healthcare, diversity of nurses and the healthcare team ultimately is helping that patient. We don't have all of the ideas and all of the knowledge of every patient as right. one individual, but as a team, we do. And so we are definitely so much more effective by having that in place. But sometimes nurses will say things and they are overruled or maybe there's no strength in numbers. So having a proactive strategy like this, something that we can pick up and use is really helpful. 
Well, we are almost at time for this episode of RN Huddle. Any last minute thoughts for us? Just, uh, you know, I want to encourage you if you are listening and you felt that bias, know or you've experienced it, know that you're not alone and we you're valued. Your opinions, your ideas are valued and we need you. You know, we need we need women who speak up in healthcare. We need all women to feel validated for their opinions and their ideas. And I can't tell you how many times in the operating room, a nurse has said, what's going on with this? Or did you see this and saved me (laughs) by saving the patient, me missing something big. So I appreciate all that you do. And thank you so much for having me on the show. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Sasha Shilkut, giving us some expert advice and examples on gender issues. Uh, For the nurses, this is something that um, we need to be proactive in joining arms with our physician and healthcare team arms really to address not just diversity of gender, but diversity of all ideas. Diversity of ideas really ultimately helps us in our roles in helping our patients. So thank you so much for being with us. I really appreciate this open and honest discussion. And hopefully we can continue the conversation on the next episode of RN Huddle. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for listening to RN Huddle. To stay connected, follow us on Twitter and Facebook at UNMC CNE or check out unmc.edu slash CNE for more program information.